In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. This is the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast. I'm Bill Drees. Our main event is former U.S. Attorney Ed Stanton on his role as the court-appointed monitor in the ongoing federal court case involving police surveillance of protesters. Top of the podcast, here comes the 2020 U.S. Senate race with the rest of that election year's prelude not far behind. As we record this, U.S. Ambassador to Japan Bill Haggerty is winding up his diplomatic duties and about to get on the campaign trail. Appointed to the post in Japan by President Donald Trump, Trump also tweeted first word that Haggerty would be running next year for the seat Republican Lamar Alexander is leaving at the end of 2020. Haggerty was Tennessee's Commissioner of Economic and Community Development in the Haslam administration before taking the post overseas, and his political coming out follows Haslam's decision not to run for the Senate. Haggerty, no stranger to politics, holding key positions in both of Mitt Romney's presidential quest before before heading up Trump's Tennessee campaign in 2016, once Trump was the party's nominee. Before the Trump tweet, Republican Congressman David Kustoff of Germantown was among the first to follow Haslam's decision by saying he was interested in running for the seat. Former State Representative Jamie Woodson of Knoxville also interested in the Republican primary. Woodson left the legislature to serve as director of the Education Reform Group SCORE. On the Democratic side, James Mackler of Nashville, an attorney and Army veteran, has been actively campaigning well before Alexander announced he would not be seeking another term. Three years and a day after the 2016 Black Lives Matter protest that shut down the Hernando de Soto Bridge, some of the key players in the spontaneous march together at Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church, the occasion, the first town hall meeting by our guest, the court-appointed monitor, and what Ed Stanton and his team encountered was a very vocal group of activists who contend they are still being watched followed, spied on, and harassed by Memphis police. The hostile encounter included police brass at the meeting being asked to leave. So much more on this coming up. Nathan Bedford Forrest Day, the state-proclaimed day honoring the Confederate general, slave trader, and first Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard, drew a group of several dozen Confederate flag-waving supporters to Health Science Park, where the equestrian statue of Forrest stood until December 2017. Meanwhile, in Nashville, Governor Bill Lee reconsidering his decision to sign the proclamation that is required by law, and his second thoughts about this, including a move to Changed the law, giving new life to Memphis Democrats in Nashville, calling for an end to at least the formal recognition by the state. Tennessee Young Democrats hosting that organization's national convention in Nashville with presidential contender Pete Buttigieg slated to put in some campaign time there as he stops in several other states. Back to the 2019 Memphis elections, former Mayor Willie Harrington atop the River Bluff overlooking Tom Lee Park this week to come out against the Memphis River Parks Partnership's plan for the park. Harrington saying the plan is asinine and saying the plan to add more trees and contour to the park undoes changes to the riverfront during his administration. Quote, this new plan is doing just the opposite, and I join with Memphians who refuse to sit silently by and allow it to happen. 
Now to who's running for what, the early look at the Memphis ballot at the July 18th filing deadline with a few things that are still up in the air with last-minute filings and signatures on those petitions to be checked. That's not to mention that all who made the filing deadline have a week to call this off if they so choose. Very few of them choose to do that, though, it turns out. So with that, it's official. Kay Rabilio will not be seeking re-election as city court clerk, the only unterm limited city incumbent who is not on the ballot seeking re-election. All 10 incumbent city council members who are unterm limited are seeking re-election. Incumbents Kemp Conrad, Reed Hedgepeth, and Joe Brown are term limited. Brown turns up in the race for city court clerk. And in that rarest of instances, we actually have a fourth open council seat in District 6 with Jerry Curry choosing to run for a full term on the council after being appointed to the seat this past January. But she's running in Instead, for Super District 8 position 1, the seat Brown is leaving. The only other time this has happened in the 51-year history of the mayor-council form of government was 1991. That's when incumbent Councilmember Kenneth Whalum Sr. had decided not to seek re-election, but at the filing deadline saw that fellow Councilmember Oscar Edmonds was running unopposed and decided to run against him. Whalem beating Edmonds. It looks like Council District 7 could be the most contested council race with an incumbent. A day before the filing deadline, incumbent Berlin Boyd had eight challengers who had filed and one more still circulating a petition. More from the second quarter campaign finance reports we talked about here last time. Mayoral contender Tammy Sawyer's precise dollar figures are as follows. She began April with $19,819 in the bank, raised $64,440 from April through June, and spent $39,122 for a quarter-ending ballots of $45,137. So she outspent incumbent Mayor Jim Strickland for the quarter by several thousand dollars and former Mayor Willie Harrington by nearly $25,000. Her biggest expenditure, $15,421 on direct mail and another $9,700 on printing. Mayoral contender LeMichael Wilson, who posted some healthy fundraising numbers in the first quarter, ending it with $31,441 in the bank, he raised $9,500. $43 in quarter two and spent nearly $3,000 to go into July through September with $38,207. Three council incumbents seeking re-election with some healthy dollar figures. District 2 incumbent Frank Colvett closing the quarter with $65,130 toward two prospective challengers, what could have been the smallest group of challengers in any council race. Marvin White and John Emery filed on the eve of the deadline there. District 1 incumbent Sherman Greer closes the quarter with $33,295 and District 3 incumbent Patrice Robinson with $45,588. Now, by contrast, Super District 8 position 3 incumbent Martavius Jones closed with $3,723 in the bank, raising $3,000 of that during the second quarter. And he had four challengers already filed, six more thinking about it a day out from the July 18th filing deadline. But all six of those still out have also pulled petitions in other races on the ballot. The odds that all six make this particular race are long, but this is politics, which means I want all the wiggle room I can get. 
the last day to register to vote in the Memphis elections. If you aren't already registered, is September 3rd. Early voting, September 13th through the 28th. Election day in Memphis is October 3rd. We are joined now by former U.S. Attorney Ed Stanton, now an attorney with the Butler Snow Law Firm, where he is commercial litigation practice group leader. Earlier this year, he was appointed by federal judge John McCullough as the monitor in the case involving police surveillance of protesters. McCullough ruled that the surveillance violated a 1978 federal court consent decree against the police department and the city. As we noted earlier, there was a public meeting this month to hear from the public and also to lay out what the monitor's role in this case is. And the encounter was a lively one, perhaps underscoring what a charged issue this is in the last four or five years of a new activism in Memphis. We will get to how this works and what the responsibility of the monitor is in just a second. First of all, uh, were you surprised by the reaction you encountered at the session? Not very much so. I mean, having been uh, a person who has uh, led uh, public engagement or community forums, particularly uh, Bill, when I was the U.S. attorney, uh, was not that surprised. I was. Uh, uh, I, I know that uh, whenever you're talking about uh, community uh, trust and public engagement, that's something that's earned. Uh, and so a lot of uh, uh, the homework that we have to do as a monitoring team is to inform the public uh, and let them know what our uh, role is, the scope of our role, what we've been doing, what we've been charged uh, to do. Um, and so a lot of that, uh, I was not necessarily surprised or taken aback just because, again, I know this is an important uh, uh, issue for the community. And I don't take lightly when individuals come out on a Thursday evening and take up their time to share uh, their thoughts and comments. And so uh, the debate uh, or the discussion was lively, but uh, I think uh, quite frankly warranted. Mm-hmm. And and your experience as U.S. attorney included your office's look at the police investigation of the 2015 Darius Stewart, Stewart That's right. case uh, for civil rights violations in that case after, after the case had run its courts. Uh, That's right through state agencies as well. That's right. And I remember having, uh, actually at Mississippi Boulevard, uh, we had engaged the COPS program, uh, community policing program based out of uh, a Washington Department of Justice uh, program after that decision came down. Um, And actually, we had a community forum uh, at the same venue uh, several years ago. And again, as you know, that was a very uh, charged and heated uh, issue throughout the community on both on many sides of the aisle. Uh, but again, what I think, uh, having been in a position, sometimes you have to make tough calls or sometimes calls that are not popular in decisions. I think at the end of the day, citizens want to know that uh, the review is fair, that it's impartial, and ultimately that there's some accountability uh, throughout the process. Mm-hmm. So so how, how do you and your team sort this out? The activists say there's still being followed, surveilled, harassed by the police. The police in City Hall say they stopped doing this as soon as Judge McCullough ruled. Yeah, so we have a, uh, a great team. I'll start there. We have a, a group of uh, subject matter experts. Uh, there's a former police chief uh, from the city of Arlington, but he also serves uh, with over 30 uh, plus years of uh, law enforcement experience, but also serves and brings a wealth of knowledge uh, from uh, serving on the uh, a consent uh, team, monitoring team, if you will, in the city of Baltimore, as well as uh, uh, New Orleans. And so it brings a wealth of knowledge of someone who's actually been through this process before. A uh, social media expert, uh, uh, Rachel Levinson-Waldman, who is with the, uh, affiliated with the Brennan Center and NYU. Uh, and she has, uh, she's a lawyer by trade, but th- this is the space that she's in from a, where social media intersects with um, uh, First Amendment and, and legal rights, uh, particularly when you're talking about surveilling 
and, and items of that nature. And then a First Amendment uh, expert, John Hennigan, uh, is a part of that. Dave McGriff, who was a former uh, uh, Deputy Commissioner of Homeland Security here in Tennessee, but also a former Memphis Police Department officer, as well as uh, he started his career as a police officer in, in the District of Columbia. Uh, but he's part of the audit and compliance. So when we get these things in the framework in place to make sure that going forward, the court is very concerned and wants to ensure that um, um, from an audit and compliance standpoint, uh, that the city is 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 doing they're doing the right things uh, per the consent decree. And so, one having the right team, how do we sort all of this out? You're right. Last week at the uh, forum, we heard a number of individuals that they have some serious concerns about uh, the practices, current practices of uh, the MPD. Uh, I can tell you, uh, literally since uh, uh, that time, within two business days, three business days, we have reached out to every individual who shared information and shared with us that they would like to know more and share more uh, via the internet. I want to let the listeners know that we've launched a website, memphispdmonitor.com. Memphispdmonitor.com has a tremendous amount of information of what we've been doing, all the court filings, who the monitoring team is, all of our filings, our quarterly reports. Um, And so I I encourage uh, the listeners to go there. But that is uh, uh, what we're doing now is a part of engaging the community. And so we are sitting down with individuals and listening. A lot of it is, is, is quite frankly, listening, Bill, mm-hmm. uh, to what the concerns are. Um, and uh, also uh, explaining uh, from an informational standpoint what we've been charged to do, but of equal importance, what we have not been charged to do. We are not a kind of a clearinghouse uh, for all uh, complaints or concerns. Certainly we will listen, uh, but some of those uh, may need to be directed uh, to um, internal affairs or the ACLU, uh, the judge in his order has been very specific about what our duties are. That includes that we're the eyes and ears uh, of the court to ensure that the city comes into compliance and remains uh, remains in compliance with the uh, uh, the 1978 consent decree. Mm-hmm. This also sounds like, from your description, a a pretty deep dive into the policies that that are currently present uh, in the police department. Is this limited to just the policies that involve? surveillance or, or is it crowd control or or how, how deep do you get in because i would imagine if, if you just dived into this you could you could spend a lot of time on this well that that's true and we have been working diligently um for nearly the past seven months the team uh weekly meetings um uh, you talk about a deep dive it, it's quite a bit of information that we have uh uh, requested and received that we're reviewing all of the policies as it relates to uh, surveillance and political surveillance and and then you know permits there, there are a number of things uh, ancillary matters that that actually impact um, uh, training and impact again policies protocols and procedures working with uh, when MPD can and, and cannot work with other outside agencies if they are doing things that are in violation of uh, the consent decree and so uh, it is a, a deep dive uh, we have been boots on the ground uh, the team have been here uh, on multiple occasions we've met with uh, Director Rollins and the command staff uh, the city uh, legal team um, and at our disposal, we have requested a number of different items. Uh, we've met with a number of different uh, individuals from the MPD uh, on demand, uh, sometimes even unannounced that uh, information that we're, we're looking for. And so um, uh, we've accomplished a lot, but quite a bit of work that lies in, in front of us. So, mm-hmm. yes, a deep dive, but we have to be careful to stay in line with what the, uh, the charge of the court for us to do and stay within our lane as to um, – 
uh, our duties as the monitor. Mm -hmm. Um, Last time on this podcast, Mayor Jim Strickland said the city has asked for guidance on police practices since Judge McCullough's ruling late last year. Have have you been involved in those kind of instances for the court since taking this on, or is the judge handling the city coming and saying, well, this policy has, we've, we've done this, this has come up, how how can we react to this and not violate the Yeah, decree? that's a great question. And we're in contact with the city uh, pretty much on a weekly basis as well. And there are real-time issues that come up in the city wants uh, guidance. Can we do this? Are we permitted to do this under the uh, uh, consent decree? And the court has uh, given us uh, that uh, function uh, and authority to make those uh, decisions. Um, and communicate directly. Uh, obviously, running a police department is, is, is not an easy task. Uh, the city has demonstrated that they want to remain in compliance. And so, yeah, we have to make tough calls. Ultimately, uh, the judge is the final arbiter of this. But that is a part of uh, the, uh, the, the direction he's given to me as the monitor and the monitoring team is, yes, if the city, went, uh, the city uh, has questions, issues, need uh, an opinion as to how to proceed with next steps, Uh, We provide that information, and and certainly if uh, they have the right to go to the judge, almost from an appellate standpoint, uh, if if they disagree. Um, I will say that, again, going back to the uh, website, all of this is on there, so you will find places where the city – uh, it's kind of listed in a chart style. The city recommends one thing that we'll come back and, and, and disagree or agree. Uh, we've also uh, uh, requested that the ACLU on a number of these items that they weigh in, the plaintiff uh, mm-hmm. who ultimately were victorious at trial last year, that they weighed in. So the court has made very clear from the ACLU, the city, and the public all being involved in this process. But if you go to the website, you will see a number of the items uh, and issues and departmental regulations that the city has requested certain language or, or uh, protocols and, and uh, a number of those we've disagreed with it and, and that's all public record uh, with our filings. Mm-hmm. Um, are, uh, what what among those stands out? What what's what's kind of been been the the highlight, I guess you would call it, of of those kind of questions about real time issues? Yeah, and I have to be careful. Um, with uh, um, some things are somewhat under have been filed under seal, okay. uh, but just the, to the extent, as an example, to the extent of who's trained, um, you know, the, the order talks about in the consent decree. It talks about you know Office of Homeland Security and real time crime center and certain specific officers. It is uh, has been uh, pretty much the. Uh, monitors uh, standpoint and monitoring team that that all officers should be trained um, and so and then what training do you get I mean do you get the deeper dive that the individuals who actually are dealing with this type of uh, issues that would come up political surveillance and, and a criminal investigation standpoint or is it literally everyone across the board and so um, sometimes it's not so much what but but the how and the means of, of what the city is recommending that we have uh, had some back and forth and ultimately we have uh, uh, some items we've agreed with or, or they've come to our position and others we have uh, made it clear to the court that we disagree and, and think that uh, uh, the uh, procedure or protocol should be a little bit more expansive. Mm-hmm. Is your first report due this month? Is Actually, our second report. Yeah, second yes, report. Yeah, next okay. week. And so our first report was uh, filed back uh, uh, in April and uh, our next quarterly report is coming up uh, uh, next week. Mm-hmm. And again, we welcome uh, the community to go online and take a look at it. And it really gives a good snapshot of what we've been doing and are doing 
um, across the board with our monitoring team. Mm-hmm. In, in the court hearings, the city took the position that, that lots of other cities do the kind of social media surveillance Memphis police were using. Uh, first, it, is that the case? And second, does it, does it matter what other police forces elsewhere do, given the unique nature of the 1978 consent decree? Yeah, great question again, Bill. And if you read the court's uh, opinion in order when he ruled against the city last year after the trial, uh, he's very clear in uh, saying that basically, yes, this is something that uh, other cities um, uh, may be grappling with or, or, or have their issues, but that in essence, this is the, the, what the, the bargain that he's going to hold the city to the bargain in the agreement that they agreed to back in 1978. Uh, I think the court, uh, just to kind of quote something the court said, he said, the court recognizes that the requirements of the 1978 Kendrick uh, litigation consent decree impose significant burdens on the city and the MPD. Uh, The court goes further to say it also notes that Memphis has uh, an opportunity to remain the first and perhaps only city in the country with an established policy for the protection of its residents, uh, privacy in the face of ever-expanding techniques of electronic surveillance. Uh, and if I may, just one other point along mm-hmm. those lines as we talk about, it, it is, you know, uh, 21st century policing with a 1978 decree when before you had the Internet, before you had body cams and uh, sky cams. Uh, but the court also said this, that every community must determine how much of its citizens' privacy it is willing to sacrifice in the name of public safety. And the idea uh, that, pub, that, that police should be limited in their powers predates 2018 and 1978. And so the court said its duty is to preserve the consent decree's central bargain. So, again, throughout the court's order, it talks about, yes, I know this is a high standard. Yes, there's no question that what's in the consent decree goes further than the protections allowed by the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment. Um, but that's what the city agreed to. And, and Judge McCollough said, I'm going to hold you to that. So you have a, a basic principle that was established in 1978 that the court has ruled stands regardless of what other technological changes that, that the technology, in essence, has to has to abide by the general principle here. Yeah. And, and I'll just say this the, 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 again, you go back to the which is on the website, but you go back to the court's order and he says the court recognizes that the city granted its residents' privacy rights above and beyond those guaranteed by the Constitution. But that may be the consent decree's intended purpose. So very, very clear that, hey, maybe this is what the city, when the city entered into this, that they wanted to be a city and a police force that offered even greater protections and afforded rights greater than the the Constitution allows. And so uh, ultimately, who makes that call when or if or or I know the city would like to see the the decree modified to a certain uh, extent. And I know there's pending motions in that regard. That's not our call. That's Judge McCullough's call. But until or unless he modifies or terminates or or goes in a different direction, uh, he's made it clear that he's going to hold the city to what it agreed to in 1978. Mm -hmm. Will you make any recommendations to him on potentially modifying Order. We'll see. Uh, we, we will see if the court, uh, if that's something that he is uh, wants to solicit from us. Uh, obviously, we're looking at best practices. We are certainly listening to the city when they say it's tough for us to do X, Y, or Z with this uh, very uh, limiting uh, consent decree. Uh, but but our goal, again, is to ensure compliance. And so, uh, again, until or unless Judge McCullough gives us more expansive duties or wants us to weigh in on uh, a modification or anything along those lines. Our, our goal, uh, and pretty 
direct uh, uh, engagement is to ensure that the city uh, not only comes into compliance, but stays in compliance. And a lot of that is, uh, I think the court is concerned, not only, sure, you can draft policies, you can have training manuals and materials, that's important and and a big component of the sanctions uh, bill. But the other part to this is to make sure that this uh, policy is ingrained in uh, the MPD for future, you know, years to come, decades to come that make sure that, you know, and, and again, the court was clear in its order that it didn't appear that uh, uh, members of the MPD, that they intentionally were, were trying to violate the consent decree. In fact, the record shows that a number of individuals may not have even known about it or it was not necessarily well publicized. And so making sure that the, the culture, the fabric of the MPD going forward uh, incorporates the tenets of this decree is very, very important. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say, you, you've you've kind of have a habit of getting into these detailed areas. Uh, at 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 Butler Snow, you you led the team that investigated the grade changing sure. allegations in Shelby County Schools. As U.S. Attorney, you undertook the mammoth investigation into teacher teacher certification exams on on Praxis, and that was a that was a huge case. What what's the scope of this like compared to those two admittedly different? undertakings. Yeah, I would say this is a, a a more limiting scope, but but not to negate the importance or the gravity of, of what we've been charged with doing in the court uh, uh, instructions for us. And I don't take that lightly. Um, but yes, it, it, this is uh, more limiting. We have a, a an agreement in uh, again, trying to the, the intersection of, of again, a 19, a 40, 41 year old now uh, decree or agreement um, and, and even the way that you interpret certain things, again, you just, in 1978, you just didn't have the internet. And so, uh, and, and, and trying to strike the right balance, obviously, of, uh, criminal investigations, legitimate law enforcement, uh, public safety, obviously that is a, the huge part of the fabric of, of, of our community is, is a safe community and, 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 you know, again, having this consent decree, and it, it appears that Judge McCullough says that there's still a place and space for the decree, um, and so that that can be challenging. But you're right; some of the other investigations, um, um, it, it's uh, having been through this again. I, I can't underscore enough how important it is that the public has confidence. Um, in, in the process. And so that is uh, while we're all the experts, if you will, we're meeting and we're in close communications with, with the city as well as the ACLU. Uh, it's equally important, Bill, that we, and, and I saw that last week, you're right, the, the, the uh, conversation uh, became lively. We even had some individuals to walk out. I am happy to say that some of those individuals that walked out and were frustrated have, uh, we've reached out to them. Uh, they left their information, and as promised, I've personally called uh, or communicated with those individuals, and we have uh, began a dialogue. Uh, again, a number of them have agreed to serve, and we'll be doing focus groups over the upcoming weeks and months. And so having the community uh, engaged is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, during all of this, recent events will we'll probably continue to intervene on this. Is there anything in the Brandon Weber shooting by the U.S. Marshals Service that your group is looking at that that touches the issues in the consent decree. Yeah, well, I can't go into the the, the details, and I, I want to be clear what we have been charged with doing and not doing. Again, uh, that, that we're not a clearinghouse or, or for all uh, uh, complaints, if you will. But but there are some aspects of that case. 
uh, of that matter that uh, did touch upon some of the work that we're doing. I can't go into detail, but uh, I want to be clear that we are not investigating that case. Right. Uh, but obviously, uh, the work that we do, there were some some uh, items that uh, did intersect with the work of the monitoring team. Uh, okay. So to, to recap again, you have a report coming up for the court next week, and we're recording this on, on Thursday. Uh, the website, one more time for people. Sure, memphispdmonitor.com, memphispdmonitor.com. You will find a lot of uh, wealth of information, everything that we're doing that can be made public. We're putting it out on the website. And it's also a place where you can touch bases with uh, me and the monitoring team, uh, email, uh, and instructions of how to reach out to us if you uh, have information that you think is helpful for the work that we're doing. And I would imagine further public forums will be posted there. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. There is actually a drop down box of of upcoming public uh, forum engagement events. So that is very important. Uh, We have uh, uh, another court hearing. So we also give the quarterly reports in writing. We file those with the court. Uh, But Bill, next month in August, I believe it's August 27th, we have our next appearance before Judge McCullough. Uh, before the court and give a update and a report of what we've been doing. Uh, the entire monitoring team will be there and welcome the public. That's, uh, uh, again, um, um, something we welcome the public to to attend and listen and hear what's going on. Um, again, this is an important, you mentioned some of the other cases, but this is strikes at the heart of who we are uh, as a community. Uh, when you talk about the constitutional rights, the First Amendment, um, and individuals feeling that they uh, can uh, display uh, their uh, their views uh, and associations without being uh, surveilled or, or uh, in violation of this consent decree. Um, if I may say one other thing, too, because one, mm-hmm. one term we've, we've kind of used a lot, and that's political intelligence. And sometimes, again, just getting the information out, when we think of political, you hear that, you think, well, that must mean that the police department or, or law enforcement, they're looking at my political views. Uh, am I a, you know, a Democrat or a Republican? Am I a part of this group or that group? Uh, but it really is uh, uh, an expansive term, and it's not just limited to um, – uh, a political views and and the court in its order just think it's worth noting for the reader for the listeners rather um, that the court says uh, the the new definition of political intelligence in the new DR the department uh, departmental regulation 138 uh, shall say that political intelligence includes any any investigation into the lawful exercise of First Amendment rights even if the investigative officer or unit does not have a partisan political motive. And so, again, you can tell how expansive that is. And it's not just limited to when you hear political intelligence, just political items. But again, to the court's note, uh, any investigation into unlawful to lawful exercise of First Amendment rights. All right. You've been listening to former U.S. Attorney Ed Stanton, now an attorney with the Butler Snow Law Firm, where he is commercial litigation practice group leader. And he is the court appointed monitor in the federal police surveillance case. Memphis Tourism President Kevin Kane this week on WKNO's Behind the Headlines talking about the possibility of two new convention center hotels and how Uber has changed the need for better public transportation in Memphis for travelers. Subscribe to The Daily Memphian at dailymemphian.com. You can subscribe to this podcast at Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at BDreesDM and at Daily Memphian. I'm Bill Drees. The Daily Memphian Politics Podcast is produced by Natalie Van Gundy and comes to you on the OAM Network.
in-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.